This episode of Z Prime on the Grid is brought to you by the National Renewable Energy Laboratory and the American Made Solar Prize, which is a $3 million prize competition designed to energize U.S. solar manufacturing through a series of contests and the development of a diverse and powerful support network that leverages national laboratories, energy incubators, and other resources across the country. If you want to learn more, there will be a link in the description. This is another episode of On the Grid by Z Prime. Love your energy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Z Prime on the Grid. My name is Dylan Lockwood. Aaron Hardick is out this week. To continue on our recent solar focus, I sat down with three experts and asked them the same questions inside the actor's studio style. So as you hear these interviews, think about what, from your perspective, represents the next step forward for solar energy. Wyatt Metzger, Austin Rosenbaum, and Scott Wynn all come from different energy backgrounds and work in different aspects of the solar space. Uh, so hopefully we've given you a wide array of visions as your food for thought. So we hope you enjoy. I'm here with Wyatt Metzger, lead for the National Center for Photovoltaics at NREL. Uh, Wyatt, thanks for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Getting right into it, what's the biggest hurdle in solar today preventing it from reaching that next level of mass adoption? Uh, you know, I'd, I'd say there's a couple of issues that are out there. Um, one is, is first, uh, just people's understanding of how far solar has come. Uh, just over the past 40 years, um, solar costs have been reduced by a factor of several hundred. Uh, so, for, you know, a number of people, they remember solar as something that was environmentally benign but uh, was not very practical due to cost, but a lot of that's changed. Uh, even just you know, five, 10 years ago, solar was more expensive than fossil fuels. But um, there's been so much rapid progress, both in terms of research, uh, technology development, and industrialization, that it's really made solar a viable technology today. Uh, for example, uh, there's a term called the levelized cost of electricity. And this refers to the complete cost of producing electricity from building a plant, whatever that might be, a coal plant or nuclear plant or solar farm, uh, financing it, um, putting up the upfront capital costs, um, operating it, and, and, and other factors. And so there's a lot of analysts that look at the levelized cost of electricity and the unsubsidized levelized cost of electricity for solar now is cheaper than conventional energy sources, um, such as fossil fuels, uh, including gas, uh, nuclear, coal, uh, gas peaking. Uh, and really, it's one of the most competitive energy sources on cost. Um, it's tied with wind as being cost leader. So that's something that not a lot of people um, realize. So um, certainly, having that understanding um, can really help, I think, accelerate the implementation of solar energy. Uh, so for example, uh, in, in residential, um, installations now can typically pay themselves back in about seven years or so. So a homeowner, uh, since the solar system lasts for about 25 to 30 years, a homeowner can roughly triple the initial amount of money invested. At the same time, an average solar array will save about 150 tons of carbon dioxide emissions over the lifetime of the system. Uh, so solar can be both good for the environment, 
but also uh, be very cost effective and actually save people money nowadays. Now, there's other issues in terms of, you know, where can solar go in the future? Uh, so, you know, right now, uh, in California, for example, about 20% of electricity is actually derived from solar energy. Uh, if you look across the nation, uh, the average is quite a bit less than that. It's about 2 to 3%. So there's substantial um, room to grow as it is right now, just realizing um, the great technologies that have already been created. At the same time, uh, in the future, we all know that uh, for solar energy, uh, this, you, you can only uh, tap into that resource while the sun is shining. Uh, and so it's an intermittent source of energy. And so if we try to put too much uh, solar onto the uh, grid at once, uh, it creates creating difficulties and it's hard to produce electricity um, at, at night just using solar energy. So we need to create new technologies uh, such as um, energy storage. Uh, this can be in the forms of pumped hydro, uh, but also batteries. Um, batteries right now are too expensive, but the costs have been coming down dramatically. Uh, and if we can continue to do that, then we can convert solar from being an intermittent source of energy into being a constant source of energy. And this is really uh, a big deal because then you have um, created a clean energy source uh, that can be used at any time um, for as long as the sun shines for us. We will have resolved an energy issue, um, not for tens of years or even a century or two centuries, but really for as long as the sun shines. Um, funny enough, that actually kind of answered uh, my next question. But uh, actually, I want to sort of go back to what you first said, which uh -huh. was uh, in regards to, you know, one of the biggest hurdles is just um, getting people, get, getting the right decision makers to, to understand how far things have come and how better things could be for them. What's probably, what, what are some of the first steps to to solving that, to solving that information gap. Uh, that that that's a very good question. Um, I, I think you know some of it is is getting the information out there uh, into everybody's hands, whether it be decision makers um, or or stakeholders such as utility companies uh, or or residentials um, or, or you know, like residential homeowners, um, as as well as the you know, the general public at large. Uh, so, um, you know, forms of doing that uh, certain, certainly need to be considered, um, you know, and how, how do we disseminate that information more easily? Yeah. So, what, what, so why, what's uh, something, what, what's sort of a cold case of solar, uh, yeah. aka a long unsolved challenge that hasn't seen progress in a while? Yeah, so so um, it's something that probably a lot of doesn't come to mind for a lot of people is is what we call soft cost. Uh, so there's the cost of the hardware, for example, the the solar panels themselves, uh, or or things or components that go with that. Um, but then there's also it's other costs that go into installing a photovoltaic system, and on the side of residential systems. Um, soft costs include permitting, uh, inspection, interconnection, supply chain costs, um, installation labor, uh, sales, uh, marketing overhead, 
um, administration, legal fees, and so forth. And this is something that's been um, quite expensive within the United States for some time relative to other countries. Uh, and as a result, residential solar uh, has been more expensive than, than in other places. Um, across the country, there's more than 18,000 unique uh, authorities that have jurisdiction that oversee the approval process for rooftop solar. Uh, there's also over 3,000 different utilities that have different specific interconnection standards. So one of the, the critical things um, to advancing is to reduce these soft costs and at the same time kind of breaking down um, this, this myriad of entities to get more standardization and to reduce these costs across the board for everyone. Um, and so one of the, the nice things about this is that you don't have to rely on um, you know, research and development and materials and things like that to reduce the cost. It's really just policy actions um, that are required in order to reduce costs. So that's something um, that's out there and has been there for some time, but we've yet to make um, as much progress as we'd like. There's been some progress, but we'd like to make more progress on that. So what's the most promising thing you've seen done in the solar space in a while? Um, you know, I've touched on some of them, which is just the, the unbelievable rate of progress, um, both in, in you know, coming from research and technology and reducing costs. And I think one of the things that's been very promising as a result of that is that we're starting to see worldwide adoption of photovoltaics. So if photovoltaics isn't something that, um, you know, is just privy to, to a few or to the wealthy, it's actually something that's being adopted across the world now. Uh, so this includes Europe, but not just Western Europe, but also Eastern Europe, uh, countries like India, um, countries that you won't necessarily associate with sunshine, such as England, uh, other countries, for example, in South America, uh, Honduras derives 15% of its electricity from solar. And so what's really exciting is to see just how much um, the decrease in costs have really opened up photovoltaics as a you know, solar energy as a great energy source for, for the world and, and to see it begin to be adopted um, throughout the world. Uh, well, Wyatt, uh, thank you so much for uh, being on with me today to discuss these, uh, to discuss the future of solar. Uh, I really appreciate your takes. Well, thank you so much. Welcome back. I am here with Austin Rosenbaum, founder and CEO at Demand IQ, classic uh, friend of the show. Austin, thanks for being here. Yeah, Dylan, thanks for thanks for allowing us to come on. I really appreciate it. We're happy to have you. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do at Demand IQ. Yeah, so um, my role as founder and CEO, Demand IQ has been around for about four years in the solar space. Um, we're a we're a software and services provider. That solves the problem of customer acquisition. At, you know, at least we think we are at this point in time. And uh, what we do is we have a, a proprietary technology that helps consumers get more information online, nurture those folks into better opportunities, and ultimately helps close more deals. We also provide marketing services such as Facebook, Google, YouTube, Bing um, advertising. 
So Austin, from your perspective, uh, what's the biggest hurdle in solar today preventing it from reaching that next level of mass adoption? Yeah, it's definitely kind of concerning to see uh, that we've only reached a, you know, a, a 97, 98% level of adoption. And I think there are a, a kind of a host of factors that go into why that is. But I think uh, more, you know, we've seen the, the price of solar come down tenfold over the last years. And it's certainly not a question of price anymore, but as, a, as it probably is a question of awareness and um, getting shoppers to take action. And so I think ultimately, um, you know, consumers are skeptical when they when they are starting to get information. There's a, there's there's confusion um, and there's just those those aspects are, are preventing them from taking that next step. And so ultimately, what I think it comes down to is it's hard to communicate the value proposition for a specific home to go solar uh, without sitting down at the kitchen table. And, um, you know, the lack of this personalized information um, prevents people from taking that, that next step from, from looking at your website to actually, you know, speaking with you on the phone. So there's this, this, there's this big gap. And, and further, I think it's, I think it's exacerbated by this black box culture that we have around selling solar. And, this idea that you have to hold back all the juicy details until you're at that kitchen table. The, the reality is, is that for most consumers across the nation, um, solar is a great decision. And so we need to think about this, the messaging and the methodology behind how we deliver that message so that we can unlock that other 98%. And it's really about empowering them with the information similar to uh, what automotive providers do. You know, when you, when you shop um, on, on a, um, when you shop for a car and you go to that manufacturer's website, you're going to get all the details about that vehicle before you make the decision to go into that dealership so that when you come in, you're armed with that information. And ultimately, I think the future would look like solar salespeople uh, turning into solar, more like solar guides. And this idea of transforming that role into um you know, an educator, but furthering that experience with a good basis that can be established from the education um, online. Thank you for that. So, uh, what's what's something that we like we like to call a cold case in solar, or some, a long unsolved challenge that hasn't seen progress in a while? Yeah. So, in the solar industry, um, there are a couple of things that I think are, I guess, these cold cases. Perhaps um, when we think about community solar in particular it's always been very difficult to communicate what that is. And for anyone who doesn't know what community solar is, it's basically roofless solar. It's the idea that I can get, I can get solar power and, and subscribe to a provider that's producing that power somewhere offsite, but receive the benefit, including the power and the savings um, directly at my home through my utility. And so it, I call it roofless solar. Um, the, the challenging part is that is not an easy thing for consumers to wrap their hands, their heads around. And um, further, I think it's really difficult for folks to understand how they might have two electric bills. So the idea of unifying that billing experience, and I think folks are beginning to solve this problem. There are a number of, of, of people that are, are solving it in some ways, but unifying that billing experience to make solar simple, um, to make the idea of payments simple, and um, one thing I'm not seeing is, and I, I, I would certainly welcome any of any of our listeners to to reach out to me if they have an example of this. But 
I'd like to understand why it is that we're not unifying the billing experience for residential rooftop solar. Why aren't um, financiers providing a, you know, a unified billing experience where I can pay a power bill and a solar bill at the same time? I think that's an unsolved problem. I think that that will really simplify things and really allow us to, to you know, hit your number one question, which was how do we get mass adoption? We just got to make it more simple. How do you do that? Well, again, starting with with communicating what the personalized value proposition is for me as a homeowner before I even ever have a conversation with you, which includes, you know, how many panels that I'm, I need for my my bill size, um, what the potential savings could look like, what my environmental benefit would be, you know, and you don't have to give the price as like a sticker price. You don't have to give it exactly what it is. You know, you don't have to share your dollar per watt cost, but you can say, you know, you're looking at somewhere between you know, my bill might be $150 a month. You're looking at somewhere between 98 bucks and 160 bucks. You know, you're going to end up with, with financing. That's what you're going to end up paying. And for me, that sounds like a good, that's a great opportunity. You know, I, I'm owning my power. I'm not renting it. And for me, I'm able to understand where, what I need to do to get to that point of, of um, zero emissions. And it, it could cost me five bucks additional a month, you know, or something or less, you know, I could be saving. So, uh, in that in that in that sort of positive, forward-looking vein, what's the most promising thing you've seen done in the solar space in a while? Yeah, there's been some really cool technology and things that have came out in the last couple of years. Um, in terms of what seems to be most promising, um, again, my my whole um, soapbox is about this idea of democratizing information for solar, and so with that. I think um, it's really cool to look at what folks are doing with instant site layouts and the ability to get a an, that that site layout in like 15 seconds online. And there's all kinds of downstream um, benefits to that too. Like for example, at some point in time, we may be able to take that into a financeable uh, system layout so that we can actually send an email and allow someone to potentially sign a contract for that for that system without ever talking to somebody i don't know that we're there yet i think it's we're a long ways away from that um but at the end of the day i think that that's a really promising technology is to be able to type in an address and get that that instant site layout and there are you know there's a, there are a few 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 um companies out there that are doing that today which which is really exciting what's something you're sort of waiting to see something that uh you think is going to represent a next step that you're that you're hoping to see soon. Yeah. So something that is a next step, I think, is certainly the monetization after the sale. I think we've been so focused on this one-time sale, and it's sort of this one-and-done experience. But monetizing the lifetime value of the customer, I I just don't understand. You know why we haven't spent more time in this area, and in fact. You know, SunPower is now doing that with their Brightbox, providing ancillary services and grid services around folks who have done their, you know, installed their battery system. That creates long-term value for and residual income for these solar companies. And, and I think that that's the future is, is really how can we participate in an energy ecosystem after making that initial sale and earning the trust of that consumer? Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, thank you for that for that insight, Austin, and thank you for being on to uh, discuss these trends going forward. Yeah, Dylan, I really appreciate the opportunity.
back. I'm here with Scott Wynn, the CEO of 17 Terawatts. Scott, thanks for joining me. Yeah, sounds great. My pleasure. Happy to be on this show. So uh, tell us a little bit uh, about uh, your history and what you do. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I'm the CEO co-founder of 17 Terawatts. We're a design-focused software company that's based in Austin, Texas. And our mission is to really try to cultivate that bond between people and the energy that powers their lives. Because when you talk about energy and especially clean energy these days, it's all the focus has always been on the hardware, the engineering, the technology. But the relationship between that technology and the people that use it, that remains orphaned. And so that's where our company, 17 Terawatts, has really positioned ourselves, where we're focusing on that user experience around energy. And so we've developed our first product called Bodhi, which is a customer experience platform. And what it does is it helps residential solar companies really automate the post-sale customer experience so that their staff can focus on what they do best, which is execute on projects and make more sales. Excellent. And so from your perspective, what is the biggest hurdle in solar today preventing it from reaching that next level of mass adoption? I think... Really, I really think it's about consumer education. And so, I mean, surveys have shown that 80% of the public have a positive view of solar. And if you look at the green you know, programs at utilities, people are actually willing to pay a premium for clean energy. So it's quite surprising that, you know, purchasing solar, you know, rooftop solar on someone's home, well, that ends up being a really complicated process. And so compounding that further is a fact that the whole industry, it's moving from these early adopters, which are generally highly tolerant, um, they're moving to the mass consumer. And so from their perspective, the mass consumer's perspective, there's just so much information in purchasing solar for their own home, and that most of that information is just really foreign to them. So like what type of equipment, what are the, all the different financing options, how does net metering work? And it turns out though that there's a saving grace in that the mass consumer, they're really highly influenced by their friends and neighbors. And so a referral by a friend or a neighbor actually goes a pretty long way in overcoming this consumer education gap. And so, for example, when I went solar myself about three and a half years ago here in Austin, my neighbor who right behind me, he's like, oh, Scott's going solar. And he trusted you know, that I knew what I was doing. He trusted who I went with. And he didn't even get a second bid. And so it turns out homeowners who live in a neighborhood, so academic research have shown, has shown that homeowners who live in a neighborhood with another solar home, they're about five times more likely to go solar than someone who lives in a neighborhood without a solar home. So there is this network effect that I think we can better leverage to bring what I'll say solar to the masses. So what is uh, something we like to call it a cold case of solar? Uh, also, uh, like a long unsolved challenge that hasn't seen progress in a while. Yeah, so I think it's it's customer acquisition costs, and or in other words, all the costs that goes into the sales and marketing of solar. And so right now, it's currently twenty percent of that system price, and it's actually been rising the past five years, um, even though all the other costs have been coming down. Um, and to be and if you think about the sales tactics that are being used in solar, a lot of it's actually pretty expensive. There's lots of door-to-door -door knocking and lots of in-person home visits, at least before the pand pandemic. So, uh, And what do you, you think is the kind of first step to getting there? Well, I think if we can really able to kind of start, you know, 
chipping away at those customer acquisition costs. I mean, so for example, you know, if um, if companies are able to, let's say, for example, be able to adopt better referral strategies, implement better referral strategies, like I was referring to before, be able to um, uh, leverage this network effect or embrace the digital marketing and sales a little bit better. Exactly what those things are, I think, is still being worked out at the moment. Then we should be able to start chipping away at all these customer acquisition costs. And then with that, we sh if we're able to do that, then we should see a huge growth in solar. And so what's kind of a little bit surprising, um, I'm not sure it's well known in the industry, is that you know the trends for the past of solar adoption for the past you know 30 years, all that data has shown that solar adoption really follows a pretty standard adoption curve that is tied to its cost, so the experience learning curve. And I think the numbers are that for every 25% reduction in cost, the total adoption actually doubles. Um, I have to double check that though, but I think that would be the impact if we're able to really um, you know, make some headway in lowering customer acquisition costs appropriately. Uh, Scott, what's the most promising thing you've seen done in the solar space in a while? Uh, so I'd say, you know, one of the great things about solar is that there is this 25-year customer relation that comes inherent with solar. And so for some of the solar companies out there, what they're doing is they're growing their service department so that they're no longer just being known as that solar contractor, you know, going out just, you know, selling one solar system after another. They're actually growing their solar business so that they're turning into what's known as the home energy, a home energy service provider or simply an energy company. And really that's because of really two main trends. So first off, there are just more and more energy products and services that are becoming available to consumer. And second, who's going to help them sort through them all? Um, it's definitely not the utilities who have a horrible relationship with the customers. And so if the solar contractors, solar installers, solar companies have developed that trusted relationship with their customers, then they can fill in that void and the consumers are going to turn to them to figure out like what type of battery they need or what EV charger is best for them or whatever else comes out to the market. So for example, we helped Lighthouse Solar, um, a local solar company here in Austin, Texas, and we helped them re-engage their customers. Um, for the first time in like 10 years. And for some of those customers, it was like the first time in five or 10 years that they had been that re-engaged. And many of the customers were like, oh yeah, Lighthouse, yeah, they were great. Wait, should I be doing anything with my system? What about all these batteries I keep on hearing about? And so that gives you that sense of the opportunity that lies ahead for these companies that are, I really want to take this lead in um, this new energy space. And uh, what's something you're sort of, are waiting for to, that will represent the next step. Yeah, so I think one of the what would represent a huge big step in solar is that right now, when consumers are purchasing these new state-of-the-art energy products, let's say like solar or even electric vehicle, these things are actually pretty siloed within the customer experience. And so I think the really big next step, at least from a consumer standpoint, is really be able to tie in all these new energy systems that are related to their lives and tie it into an interface or a experience that makes it better than the whole. And so can we understand the relationship between the energy that's being produced from the solar system and that excess energy and how that can be used more effectively within 
um, the charging of their electric vehicle or with the powering of other appliances or other smart products within the home. And so that's where we'll be able to really optimize the development of what we call the home energy system of the future. Well, th thank you for that, Scott. And thanks for being on to be a part of this. Yeah, sounds great. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Big thanks to Wyatt Metzger, Austin Rosenbaum, and Scott Wynn for being on the show and sharing their visions. Thanks to NREL for sponsoring, and thank you, of course, for listening. You can find our research and media at zprime.com. You can find us on social media at dylockwood, at Aaron Hardick, at zprime underscore research. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.